You know, this weather reminds me of our weather in Manitoba. Uh, my wife and I spent the last five years out there pastoring, and uh, this is what we got every winter. It was this dry snow that you actually can't do anything with. You can't make a snowman or anything. Then the bitter colds. I was just looking at my phone. We get a high of minus 11 today. Isn't that great? <laughs> Low of minus 14 or something. And then uh, the winds. Yeah, it's wonderful. Um, over the past five years that we lived in Manitoba, uh, we would always make a trek back every year <clears throat> to visit family. Typically, we'd do that in the summer. And uh, we're a little crazy uh, and maybe cheap, too. Uh, our first year that we were out there, we flew back in May because I think we only had to pay for one of our children's seats. Uh, after that, it was two and then three, and we just said, you know what? We'll just drive back. But we didn't want to stay at a hotel either, so we just drove right through the night, 22 hours straight. My wife and I would take turns driving. Usually worked pretty good uh, until two years ago we decided to do the trek for Christmas because we really wanted to see our family. And so we came to spend just a week here. Um, but that was a bit of an adventure. Um, for my part, it was okay. Uh, I don't mind driving, although like driving even in the, the snowy conditions, although coming through Banff, there was quite a bit of packed snow and you had to drive uh, quite a bit slower. But it seemed like any time my wife was driving, things would go wrong. So I would fall asleep, 3 a.m. in the morning, she was taking her shift at the wheel, and all of a sudden she's tapping on my shoulder, whoa, what's going on? Do we get a flat? What's happening? Oh no, it's thick fog. You can't see absolutely anything. Ah, uh, you know what, I don't feel comfortable. Okay, I'll take the wheel. And then as soon as I'd start driving, the fog would lift. And it was like clear skies. It was great. We did make it all the way to Tierro a couple years ago, but yeah, not without its challenges. It was usually a 22-hour drive turned into, I think, 29 hours because we did get a flat and then had to go to one small town to the other to the other to find a tire that didn't actually match the rest of our winter tires but was close enough and we finally made it home our, to our parents, family, uh, in Nero. We were actually gonna head out this afternoon, uh, but now with highway closures and Highway 3 the way it is, we were gonna drive back to Manitoba to visit our friends there for a week. Uh, we've decided not to, just to be a little bit safe. But life is often like that, right? Um, we make plans. And, you know, some of them turn out, some of them don't. Along the way, there's twists and turns that we don't anticipate. And yet, God is still leading through all of that, right? This morning, we're going to take a look at a bit of a less preached text in, at the end of Matthew 2. And I want to just show us a few things that might encourage us as we seek to trust in the Lord, especially for this upcoming year. So I'm going to invite you to stand. We'll read Matthew 2, 19 to 23. So Joseph, Mary, and Jesus are in Egypt at this time. And then, uh, then we enter into verse 19. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. 
And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. The word of the Lord, you may have your seats. So this morning from our text, uh, I want to show us that, you know, regardless of what we face this coming year, we can trust God's leading through it. And I got a a few points that will help us through this text. First of all is God's careful guidance. Uh, Secondly is Joseph's prompt obedience. And finally, God's providential plan. So let me pray for us as we dive dive into God's word. Father, thank you for the chance to gather here this morning. Uh, this morning is, doesn't matter how many of us are here, it's, it's not a waste. We're here to seek you, to worship you, uh, to learn from you, uh, from your word. Uh, I pray that you would, you would speak to us by your spirit this morning, God, and you would uh, help us to know you and to trust you more. We love you, Lord, and pray this in your name. Amen. So, God's careful guidance. As you look back on your life, you would probably be able to pinpoint God leading you and guiding you and maybe even speaking to you in a variety of different ways, right? Uh, First and foremost, we believe that God's word is is our authoritative uh, direction from God, but God also uses, say, the community, right? To lead us in his ways. Uh, He might speak to us by still voice of the Holy Spirit, give us an impression. He might even use more dramatic ways such as a vision or a dream. We don't know exactly what the reason was, but with Joseph, God consistently spoke to him through dreams. Uh, Between Matthew 1 and 2, Joseph receives four dreams, three of them having an angelic message that is given to him. So I want to take a look this morning at these four dreams of Joseph and see how God cared for Joseph, Mary, and Jesus through these dreams. So Joseph's first dream is in Matthew 1, verses 20 to 21. Um, Joseph has just found out that Mary is pregnant, but she's told him that it's by the Holy Spirit. Now, how many of you... Husbands would buy that. I mean, it's, it's never happened in the history of humanity. It hasn't happened since. Yeah, it, it was the Holy Spirit. And yet, that was what had happened, right? But Joseph gets this dream uh, right after receiving that news. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Regardless of exactly where Joseph was, we're told that that he was a just man, and so actually his plan was just to divorce her quietly. He didn't want to put her to shame or probably in, in danger's way, but he was going to divorce her quietly. But he gets this this dream, and because of it, 
God enables that they stay together, right? Essentially, God saves their marriage through this dream and allows for Jesus to grow up in a home with, with two parents. <clears throat> we fast forward then a little bit to J- Joseph's second dream just after the wise men leave. Matthew 2.13 uh, says this. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph again in a dream and said, rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. So Herod, having figured out that he's been tricked by the wise men, they didn't come back to him to report on the, this new king, this new Lord. He sets out to slaughter all the baby boys in Bethlehem, right? But we see that, that God cares for well, his son Jesus and he spares his life and he sends them to Egypt. Then we go on to a third dream that, Mary, that Joseph has, which we read in this text. Herod dies, uh, this is Matthew 2, 19 to 20. And then an angel of the Lord appears in a dream to Joseph, now in Egypt, and says, rise, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel for those who sought the child's life are dead. We don't know how long Joseph and Mary and Jesus were in Egypt, probably no longer than a year, but God doesn't abandon them in Egypt, right? After Herod dies, again, God comes. He comes through and in just the right time, and he tells Joseph, okay, you can bring your family back. And then that brings us to Joseph's last dream in Matthew 2, 22. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there and being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. So Herod, if, if you remember, awful dude, right? Cruel, violent king, Archelaus was one of three sons that Herod set up to rule after him when he died. Archelaus ruled over the area of Judea, which is kind of central Israel where Jerusalem is. He also ruled in Idumea, which is to the south, Edom, and then to the north in Samaria. But his son Archelaus was really no different than Herod. He was cruel, he was violent, uh, one year during the Passover, there was a bit of an uprising uh, in Jerusalem. Archelaus could have handled it in many more gentle, tactful, diplomatic ways. Yeah, he decided to slaughter 3,000 3, pilgrims that had come to Jerusalem for that Passover. So you can kind of see why Joseph is, he's afraid, right? And so God redirects him to go to Nazareth. All the way along, God is, is carefully guiding Joseph and Mary and Jesus. And he's, yeah, he's, he's caring for them through his protection, through his guidance. One of the analogies that scripture uses for who God is, is that we're presented, God is presented as a shepherd right? Uh, I want to read for you Psalm 23, which is probably the classic presentation of who God is as a shepherd. I just want you to just listen to this Psalm, take it in, um, hear the care that God has for each one of us through this Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. 
I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You know, this, this morning I want to remind us that God cares deeply about each one of us. Always has, always will. Whether we, we feel it or not, he's there by our side, guiding us faithfully each step of the way. <clears throat> I don't know um, what 2020, 2021 has been like for you. Uh, personally, it's, it's probably been the hardest year of my life uh, because of a whole variety of different situations that have gone on. But I uh, compared a little bit to a, a hike I went on a couple months ago. Um, drove down Chillock Lake Road and, and uh, ventured off on a hike up Mount McFarlane. Uh, now, if any of you have, have gone up there before, uh, there's also Lower and Upper Pierce Lake up there. Um, the hike starts out with about 500 meters of nice flat path and then goes straight up for nine and a half kilometers. It's about a 20 kilometer return hike. Um, I'd attempted it once before, uh, unsuccessfully. I decided middle of October, you know, I'll try it again. And it uh, doesn't matter that there's now snow at the top and gonna have to do the scramble that I've never even made it. I was just gonna, gonna give her. And it uh, went pretty well until I got lost in a rock field where you can see anything because there's about six inches of snow and it was dangerous, and I decided I did not want to push my luck. And so at one point I took this picture. Uh, you can see Lower Pierce Lake there and into the Chilliwack River Valley. Um, it's this beautiful sight, right? Uh, just taking in the glory of God's creation, and yet at the same time disappointed that ah, I wasn't gonna be able to make the summit and a little frustrated that I'd gotten lost. I ended up finding the, the trail and was able to go to Second Pierce Lake to the upper lake, um, but didn't venture to the summit. It wasn't safe. But as I came down, uh, I went and sat by Lower Pierce Lake and uh, I was reminded of this psalm and just pulled out my Bible and, and read through it and read through about how God leads us. You know, he leads us next to still waters. He restores our souls. And I began to just compare that day's hike with life. It had been a, a joy and filled, and sorry, and fear-filled adventure. There had been success and failure <laughs> side by side. 
There had been both exceeded and unmet expectations. There had been paths that led the way that I anticipated them going and paths that I had not foreseen what was going to come. And yet, through it all, God's care was constant. He had been there every single step of the way. And so as we, we look to 2022, I just want to encourage us to, to trust in God. We don't know the way, but he does, right? And he will be faithful to lead us each and every step of the way. As we seek to grow in, in trusting God and, and walking in his ways, I want to offer us now a, a model picture of what that can look like. And this would be Joseph and his prompt obedience. So Joseph isn't spoken much of in scripture. Uh, he's present, you know, in Matthew 1 and 2. And then in that gospel, we don't hear of him again. In Luke, we hear of him going back to Jerusalem a little bit later when Jesus was a little bit older and Jesus ends up staying at the temple. But, but that's it. I mean, we're, we're told that he's a, a just man and that he wanted to divorce Mary quietly. But as we take a look at Joseph's response to each one of these four dreams, you know, we realize Joseph was actually a pretty stand-up guy, especially in the way that he followed the Lord. So I want to take a look at these four dreams again that Joseph had, uh, working our way backwards, and just see what we might learn from the way that Joseph responded. <clears throat> So the last dream that Matthew mentions is Matthew 2, 22. Um, the verses will be on the screen. I probably won't read all of it, but they're there for you to see. Uh, Archelaus was reigning over Judea in places of, of his father Herod. Joseph was afraid to go there because of Archelaus's reputation. And so he's warned in a dream and then withdraws to the district of Galilee. Um, this one is pretty straightforward. Joseph is afraid. He gets this dream saying to go to Galilee, specifically to Nazareth, Joseph follows. Uh, but as we go along, we see more and more how obedient Joseph actually was. Uh, Joseph's second last dream, uh, found in Matthew 2, 19 to 21, Herod died, uh, an angel of the Lord appeared and dreamed to Joseph in Egypt saying, specifically, rise, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. Again, Joseph's response, pretty straightforward, likely wanted to return to Galilee anyways. But notice even in the verse, just how the lines uh, match up. The angel tells him, rise, take the child and his mother, go back to the land of Israel. Joseph's response is exactly the same, right? And he rose and he took the child and his mother goes back to the land of Israel. We get the sense that, you know, exactly what God tells Joseph to do, that's what he goes and does. It's still windy out there. Okay, <laughs> uh, Joseph's uh, second dream that he had, Matthew 2, 13 to 15. This is when uh, the angel of the Lord came to Joseph, telling them that Herod is, is going to kill all the babies, flee to Egypt, 
And so verse 14, and he rose and he took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. So try to put yourself in Joseph's shoes there. Uh, You just got woken up in the middle of the night by a dream telling you to flee to Egypt because your baby boy, your, your only child, his life is in danger. What might have gone through your head at two in the morning? You know, maybe fear, um, perhaps anger, right? At Herod and, and this incredible injustice that he's about to perpetrate. Perhaps frustration with God. Lord, you're intervening in this way, but why not just take Herod out, right? Make this whole flight unnecessary. Regardless of what Joseph felt, that's kind of speculation, we see that, again, his, his obedience was immediate. I like to sleep. I don't know, if, if I had been Joseph, I might have just waited until the morning and, okay, kids, let's, let's pack up. But what the ESP doesn't make super clear, other translations do, is that he got up right away, woke up Mary, Jesus, and in the middle of the night, they take off for Egypt. He did not waste a second, but obeyed promptly, immediately. I think there's something to be learned there, right? How often do we, I don't know, make excuses when God gives us a direction, you know? Why don't you go, go talk or go pray for that person? Well, maybe they don't want to talk to me or, but Lord, I, I got things to do. Anyways, I'm sure you've never been there, so I'll just move on. Finally, uh, Joseph's response to his first dream, I think, is what um, inspires me or challenges me the most. You know, he's he's been told by an angel that his wife is pregnant by the Holy Spirit, something that has never happened before in the history of humanity. And then Joseph responds in the following way, Matthew 1, 24 to 25. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. (laughs) Joseph obeys to the T the instruction that, that God gave him through the angel. First of all, regardless of the doubts or questions that he had about Mary's faithfulness to us, or sorry, faithfulness to him, and that's like right at the beginning of their marriage, he says, okay, Lord, you're leading. He takes her to be his wife. Secondly, this is another one that, that gets me. Joseph and Mary were likely very young, right? Probably even teenagers, could have been a lot of hormones going on in Joseph's body, and yet he waits until Jesus is born to, uh, to know his wife, to initiate sexual relations. In that way, uh, Jesus' birth is kept a virgin birth, and also uh, they maintain ritual purity. But Joseph waits. And then finally, he names his son not Joseph after himself or or Jacob after his dad, but Jesus, the name that was given by the angel. 
true obedience can look a lot like Joseph. You know, following God's leading each and every step of the way and doing so both promptly but also for the long run and being faithful. And so my question for us is, how does our obedience compare with Joseph's, right? In what areas have we not responded obediently? We dragged out our obedience, postponed saying yes, or maybe not obeyed at all. How does that lack of obedience demonstrate trust in God and his plans? And that's the final reason I want to look at this morning of, of why that we can trust God is because he has a providential plan. <clears throat> Let's take a look at the last verse in our text this morning, Matthew 2, 23. And he went <clears throat> and lived in a city called Nazareth so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled that he would be called a Nazarene. Now, Matthew is writing primarily to a Jewish audience. And so he has all sorts of Old Testament quotations in his gospel. In these first two chapters, he has five alone that he points to as, as prophecy fulfilled. The interesting thing about this one is that it's a more general one. So the previous four have all referred to specific Old Testament passages, whether that's Micah 5.2 or Hosea 11.1. This one is a, a general one that was just more spoken of in a general manner by the Old Testament prophets. But what he's talking about specifically is the negative perception and the poor reception that Jesus will have, particularly with his ministry. So Nazareth did not have an honored name. It was this kind of poor, insignificant, small town. Um, if we look at John 1, verse 46, we see even from one of Jesus' disciples, Nazareth's reputation. Uh, John 1, 46 reads, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathaniel asked. Perhaps our, uh, our modern-day equivalent might be spasm. Any of you ever driven out to spasm? It's beyond hope, Ron. <laughs> right? Just this, this little nobody town. That was Nazareth. But what Matthew's trying to do is fulfill Scripture. Again, this is a general quotation, so references would be made in Scriptures like Psalm 22, verse 6, Isaiah 49, verse 7, and also Isaiah 53, verse 3, which reads, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Nazareth, Jesus, you know, lowly receptions. But more than that, what Matthew is trying to do is point to Jesus as the Messiah. All these fulfilled prophecies point to Jesus as being the one for whom the Jews were all waiting for. And Isaiah 53 goes on to talk about that. 
in verses 10 to 12. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. You see, this is what Jesus has done for us. I don't care how good a life you've lived, each and every one of us, we're transgressors. We've sinned against a holy, perfect God, right? We have broken that relationship. There's a chasm between us that we cannot, we cannot fix, we cannot overcome. And yet, through Jesus' birth, life, death, and resurrection, he has made a way for us to be reconciled to God. When we look at this text, I think it's easy to ask, why Egypt? Right? Like, God, why didn't you just take out Herod? Why have Joseph, Mary, and Jesus flee all the way to Egypt and then come all the way back? Right? What was the point? Well, the point is, is all of Scripture is trying to do is to point us to Jesus. Israel in the Old Testament was stuck in Egypt, which is all, often associated as the land of sin. But then God rescued them from there, right? Jesus now is the one who brings us out of our Egypt, out of our sin. You see, Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies. Jesus Christ is a person that all of Scripture points to. It's Jesus Christ is the only one that can save us from our sins, and Jesus is the climax of God's providential plans. That's the one that God points us to. So I want to challenge you. Place your faith in Christ. Let's trust more and more in him. As we seek to do that, I want to share a, a closing story with you. Um, have you all heard of Corey Ten Boom? Some of you, yeah. She was a Dutch watchmaker, uh, writer, a lady that lived uh, through World War II in Holland. And she was a believer, uh, ended up going into a concentration camp for trying to hide, well, successfully hiding and protecting the lives of, of many Jews during the war. She suffered actually pretty horrendously during her time in the concentration camp. But throughout all of that, her trust in God was, was solid. It was strong. After the war, God opened doors for Corey to go speak in, in all sorts of different places. One of the things she spoke about was forgiveness and how God had led her to forgive those who had mistreated her in the concentration camps. But another thing that she would often speak about was 
was this aspect of, of trusting in God's plan. And so often what she would do, she would hold up this embroidery. There's a picture on the screen of what it looked like. And really, it was just a tangled mess. People would often look at her and, and wonder if she'd gone something wrong or, or, I don't know, had really messed this up. But she would say, you know, this is what our perception of our lives often looks like. <laughs> it can be chaotic, right? We don't understand what it looks like, and, and to us it can look ugly. It, it often doesn't make sense. But then she'd turn the embroidery around, and it would lo look like this on the other side. You see, throughout all the tangles, throughout all the mess, this is what God is creating not the greatest quality picture, but beautiful tapestry, a beautiful embroidery. He's got a purpose with each and every fiber, each and every circumstance that we experience. I want to read for you a, a short story uh, that Corey writes in her book, The Hiding Place. <clears throat> She writes, one night I tossed for an hour while dogfights, that's warplanes battling, raged overhead, streaking my patch of sky with fire. At last I heard Betsy stirring in the kitchen, that was her sister, and I ran down to join her. She was making tea. She brought it into the dining room where we had covered the windows with heavy black paper and set out the best cups. Somewhere in the night, there was an explosion. The dishes and the cupboard, they rattled. For an hour, we sipped tea and talked until the sound of planes died away and the sky was silent. I said goodnight to Betsy at the door to Tanta John's rooms and groped my way up the dark stairs to my own. The fiery light was gone from the sky. I felt for my bed. There was the pillow. Then in the darkness, my hand closed over something hard. Sharp, too. I felt blood trickle along a finger. It was a jagged piece of metal, 10 inches long. Betsy! I raced down the stairs with a shrapnel shard in my hand. We went back to the dining room and stared at it in the light while Betsy bandaged my hand. On your pillow, she kept saying. Betsy, if, if I hadn't heard you in the kitchen, but Betsy put a finger on my mouth. Don't say it, Corey. There are no ifs in God's world and no places that are safer than other places. The center of his will is our only safety. Oh, Corey, let us pray that we may always know it. As we go into 2022, I think we're more aware than ever that we're not in control. Our plans have gone all sorts of different directions this past year, but God's providential plans remain. COVID, the weather, you name it, they all submit to God's plans for our lives. 
We don't have to worry that there might be something greater than God. And I want to, to challenge us to trust more deeply in the Lord this coming year, to follow him obediently, and to seek uh, both our good, but ultimately his glory in the way that we seek him. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for the way you lead us. Um, <laughs> more often than not, we, we don't understand it. Uh, we probably fight it. And yet, um, we're so grateful that you are a great, powerful God that loves us so deeply that you gave your one and only son for us. Uh, you care for us so much that we can trust you, Lord. Uh, we can follow you at, at each and every turn. God, would you, would you lead us this coming year to grow deeper in our faith with you and uh, just to make you known, Jesus, more and more in the way that we speak, the way that we live. We love you, and we pray this all in your name. Amen. So this morning, I get to talk to you a little bit more. Uh, we're going to celebrate communion. Uh, as we prepare for this time, yeah, you can start working on opening your wafer if you'd like. If you are missing an element, there are some more in the foyer. Gord's got a basket that he can pass to you. Uh, but I want to read a few verses from a uh, passage toward the end of the Gospel of Matthew. This is Matthew 26, 36 to 39. Um, then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. As we eat this bread and drink this cup this morning, we celebrate that Jesus did follow God's leading. He was willing to drink that cup. He was willing to go to the cross out of his great love for each one of us and, and his obedience to God. So this morning, let's eat and drink in remembrance of what Christ has done for us and, and praise for that obedience. So I invite you to take out the wafer <clears throat> This wafer represents Christ's body broken for us. Let's eat in remembrance of him. And now this cup represents Christ's blood, which he spilled for us. Let's drink it in gratitude of the forgiveness of sins that we have through Jesus' sacrifice alone.
Lord Jesus, um, we will be eternally grateful for your sacrifice, the way in which you were willing to humble yourself and take the price of our sins on yourself. Jesus, we can look at, at Joseph and, and be amazed by his obedience, but you demonstrated a, a perfect track record. Uh, you obeyed at every turn. Jesus, would you help us to, to follow you and to glorify you through our obedience um, and to, to point others to you. We're so grateful, Lord, for salvation freely uh, in your name as we place our faith in you. And so we give you praise this morning, we give you thanks, and we pray all this for your honor and glory. Amen.